Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Legg and Bryn Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. Welcome back to the Reconstructed Faith Podcast. My name is Colson Lechner, alongside my partners in crime, Bryn Starnes and Chris Legg. And we are continuing our conversation uh, with Dan Ray. Dan, thanks again uh, for being um, for being here, for traveling uh, the the few hours, yeah, on the interstate to be with us. And uh, so, as we as we jump into this next portion, I'm going to throw it over to Bryn to kind of kick us off on the direction, kind of where we're starting off. Yeah, we were just talking a minute ago over um, over lunch in between <laughs> recording, and we were talking about you were saying how your story is still unfolding. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really encouraging thing to hear. And I think it's encouraging for others because often I think we do view deconstruction or reconstruction as like a finish line or a goal that is something other than when we die and go to be with the Lord. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I think that's encouraging for me and for others to hear like, this is still unfolding. My story is still continuing. And, and so all that to say, some of the things that we keep coming back to are our anchors in our life of what are things specific to you that when you have those seasons of, or that question that comes up or um, an event that happens that causes you to doubt or have questions, what are the things that you personally come back to that are encouraging and reassuring to you? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm just curious. Yeah, the I think the biggest thing is, um, and I know this may seem it'll be at different points for different people, but I agree that everybody kind of cycles through questions and doubts. Um, but I think one of the things, and some people survive this and some people don't, and I'm not saying I'm anything special because I've survived this far, but um, God has to, and he'll do it differently for each of us, but God has to bring us to the end of ourselves. I mean, the the we have to be bled and drained of all the, the swamp of self-sufficiency. Um, and when you survive that process, uh, it's it's it reminds me of the psalm where you lifted me out of the mire and put my feet on solid rock. So the mire, biblically, is 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 self, in some sense, and sin. And when you have complete failures um, in your life, and there might be one big one or several little ones, or you're constantly in the swamp and you know you can't uh, save yourself, think of the paralytic at the fountain, Jesus asks him, do you want to be made well? He doesn't say yes. Right. He's just laying there saying, well, I can't get into the water. That's not what I asked you. Right. Um, Or the man born blind that the disciples, and this is all of us, right? The disciples, Lord, this is the kind of questions that we want to know. Lord, was this man, did this man sin or his parents sin? Right, we want the dirt. <laughs> we want to know uh, why he got canceled. You know, why did he lose his eyesight? And I think in John nine is is a basically a, a synopsis of the book of Job, because the mm. disciples might be looked at as Job's friends. That certainly somebody must have sinned here. Right, mm. right, exactly. And Jesus drops the bomb. Yeah. Nobody sinned. It is so that the glory of God or the works of God may be displayed in him. And this is exactly what the book of Job is, because what is God's response to Job? But a treatise on the works of what God has made. 
But Job had to come to the end of himself because he was righteous. But here's the thing that I think that we mistakenly believe about Job, and this is just comes from my own suffering, that it's God's declaration of Job that makes Job righteous. Probably right. Job's problem was that he, he did have a, a good relationship with God, but I'm going to venture a guess and say that Job thought he was righteous because of what Job was doing, not right. because of what God said of him. So the process was painful for Job because his friends kept accusing him. Certainly you've done something, buddy. Nobody has this happen to them without there being some sin in their life. And Job's like, look, I didn't do anything. But then God had to set the record straight and show us it's just his declaration. I have declared that you are righteous. You don't earn that. You don't, right. you know, and of course, Job's complaints are that I was this, I was that, I had this great thing and I did this. And we see all the deeds that Job does and he prays for his friends. And certainly these are good things. I'm not saying that the works themselves are, are bad, but I think what we all struggle with is that self-righteousness. Mm -hmm. You know, the disciples can't imagine that, that a man would be born blind for the glory of God. Right. I can't imagine that either. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, Johnny Erickson Tata, who had an ax diving accident, and she's for years pleaded with the Lord that, that he would restore her, you know, and, and it's tragic to hear her struggle with that, you know, and why do why Lord, why do I have depression? Why did my dad die? Why this? And right. we all have our, our things. Mm -hmm. Paul had the messenger of Satan, right? So that the, and that God, we at least get a reason there. You know, Paul knew that it was to, to humble him because of the, the revelation that God was giving him. And um, to some degree, I, I empathize with Paul because I, on my podcast, I've interviewed scholars and authors and scientists and theologians, and I've had a front row seat to some of the best minds in Christendom over the last few years at Watchmen. And I'm thinking, why me, God? You know, and, and, and right. so I think that the, the, the key factor is the, the anchor for me has always been, you know, I see God take away stuff from my life, and then I see his faithfulness. Mm -hmm. So I've had these experiences where God has been faithful when I have been emptied of everything. I have nothing. Right. And then, well, I, you know, I'm taken away. There's no, there's nothing on my resume that's going to make me climb back up. There's nothing on my resume that's going to make me stand up and take my pallet and walk. There's nothing on my resume that's going to open my eyes. I'm, I'm on the ground. I'm in the dust. I can't speak. I don't know what's going on. And God is faithful. Mm. So it's his faithfulness. And, um, you know, the, I'm, I love astronomy and cosmology and the, the, in Jeremiah 31, God talks about a new covenant and his faithfulness. And he says, if, if the fixed order of the heavens departs from me, then so will my faithfulness depart from Israel. So the heavens remind me of God's faithfulness, that they're there always in time in and time out in every season, sunrises and moon times and all this stuff. It's, it's so regular that, that, that it's, it's, it's. Atheists can't explain, science can't explain the regularity, why it's there, but but it's there. And that regularity in the cosmos uh, reminds me of God's faithfulness, but it has nothing to do with me. It mm -hmm. finally doesn't have... I mean, that's kind of a dangerous thing to say that, that for some people it might just be licensed to go and do whatever because God's always going to be faithful. That's not what mm -hmm. I'm saying. That's not what Paul's saying. It's that when you experience those times of, of, of God's faithfulness in the midst of your own loss that you, you don't want to offend or grieve that God, the more he is gracious to you, the, you know, it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. So mm. to me, the greatest, I'd say it's the one thing it's, it's not friends or family or money or success or my latest podcast. It's, it's God's faithfulness, but I can't see that. And I would never have seen that 
unless he had, um, you know, uh, taken me through things where I was bereft of all my supports mm. that I would tend to go to. It, it is interesting to me. So what you just described is, is the thought that someone could be taken through a time of not having supports of not having the, the internal, whatever that internal structure to support your own identity that we think that so many people think they have. And yet here you are like, that wasn't your response to that was not, well, God, if that's what you have for me, then like, like we hear from so many people who deconstruct their, you know, their, there is no God and I'm really mad at him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it seemed like that would have been a natural place for you to go with that. What, I mean, you talked about the direct encounter. Is that what you, is that what you kind of chalked that up to? That's what changed the direction for you was yeah, it, it's him a, pulling you out of that garage. If God is God, um, there's just going to be things he does that I can't explain. Right. And then it's not an excuse for, I'm not going to look into this. I mean, I've looked into it as far as I can. I've talked to some really brilliant people over the years. And it just, it, it, for God to be God, you know, it's like Job says, I've, I've heard of you with my ears and now I've seen you with my eyes. Um, I repent in sackcloth and ashes, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's, I, I want to I encourage people that, 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 that God uses extraordinarily weak people. One of the things that encouraged me on in my faith as I would struggle is I got pointed in the direction of, of some biographies of some people, and I thought, gosh, if God can use these people. I mean, like, uh, I rec- highly recommend a biography by a gentleman, um, uh, by who, it's a biography of William Cooper. It's spelled C-O-W-P-E-R. He wrote mm. hymns with Isaac Watts, or Isaac Newton. No, okay. wait, no, excuse me. Um, John Newton. Okay. Mm-hmm. Isaac Watts, Isaac Newton, John mm-hmm. Newton. Again, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Scientists. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. Um, mm-hmm. But John uh, was a companion to uh, William Cooper throughout his whole life, and William was constantly su- struggling from depression. But William has written some of the most beautiful hymns and glorious poetry uh, that have ever come out of Christendom, um, or Martin Luther's struggles, or the, the kind of struggles that, that people had personally were always just very fascinating to me and very encouraging because um, it's not that people want to read a biography to see the strengths of other people necessarily. Mm-hmm. We want to know how, <laughs> how these people did what they did, knowing what we know about human nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The worst that thing sense. that we can do is to, to present, you know, people of the faith as superheroes. Mm-hmm. We're not. <laughs> I think the, the greatest thing that I've discovered is to be honest, maybe I, my boss says I'm too candid about what I struggle with, but I think the greatest thing we can do for people and encouraging people is to say that it doesn't matter how weak you feel right now. It doesn't matter how unbelieving you might feel. It doesn't matter how dark the tunnel is before you. It doesn't matter if you can't speak or if you can't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. God can do anything with you. You don't have to have a degree. You just have a, let God, Romans 12, um, you know, I was talking to a gentleman who struggled with suicide several years ago, and we were both kind of conversing about what Romans 12 meant. So it's a, if, if you want to die, then present your body as a living sacrifice. Mm. Just, just be alive, remain alive, and let, let God do what he's going to do. Mm. <laughs> yeah, totally I th- agree with that. I think that's the depths of Romans 12. It's not just going up to the altar on Sunday. It's like, no, st- remain alive like the Bee Gees, staying alive. <laughs> there you go. Right? This is what we need to do. Because God can do anything. Where, where there's life, there is hope. And if you're just, if all you can do is breathe, then just breathe for now. Mm. Mm. And uh, God will be 
faithful in the task that he has called you? Because it, to me, it just seems like he picks the worst kind of people to to represent his kingdom. Mm. And I mean, that from a personal perspective, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of other uh, much more nice, uh, more congenial, more gregarious. And, you know, the, the, the problem I used to believe early on in Christendom is that you become a Christian and then you become gregarious. <laughs> Mm, that's right. You become no, that extroverted, likable, easy everybody to get along has with. to be. You know, you're going to be the door greeter at church or something. I'm like this is <laughs> still horrifying to me. Mm. Uh, but no, no, God doesn't have to. Uh, some people he he does radically transform. Some people it's a gradual transformation. Some people it's a slow, gradual incline. Some people it's a rocket ship straight up. Yep. Um, and you know we can't. We shouldn't compare ourselves to each other. The Paul in First Corinthians twelve about the body. We all mm. have different parts. But but we generally tend to be. I want to be the eye. Look at how mm. glorious his ministry is. No, that's that's not you know. And I think that we get discouraged, easily discouraged when we when we look at ourselves and compare ourselves to other people and what God has done. We envy the wicked. We envy other believers, and we just think, oh, I'm never going to do that. You know, I'm never going to mm. be like that. And that's mm-hmm. you know, that's not uh, that's not the gospel. The gospel. The good news is that God can use you right now, right where you are, and knows where you are, and. You know, Psalm 139. Choose you uh, anyway. Yeah. Despite yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Which I've been realizing um, that gives hope to other believers. Like it is a more sure. realistic gospel because we've talked a lot about just how the particularly Southern Christian culture has a lot of appearances that often go with it of having yourself together and all those things. Mm-hmm. And it's started to occur to me that having an authentic application of the gospel and being honest about who you are is not only humble and, um, you know, genuinely, um, talking about the gospel, but it's also encouraging to other people because you're not presenting a view of sanctification that is inaccurate and unattainable to other people that you're doing life with. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Like, yeah, well, you said it earlier. Um, it's not sanctification isn't, we shouldn't think that it has a point of arrival in this life where you've, right. where you've completed the task and now I'm here and now I'm kind of bored, like spiritual retirement, <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know, right. Mm-hmm. That, that I've arrived, done all my things. I mean, we talk to Mormons that are this way and, and, and with all due respect to our LDS friends, they've done their missionary work mm-hmm. when they're, I'm done with that. You, you talk to adult Mormons, they're not evangelical about their faith. They don't go door right. knocking. Um, they've done that. It's a, it's a list of things that they do, but I think a lot of Christians check out too. Mm-hmm. I've done all that. Oh yeah. There's not much that I can learn anymore. Mm-hmm. One of the atheist podcasts that I was <laughs> yes. on after David's was uh, with a gentleman, uh, Robert Stanley, great guy. We had a wonderful time, but Robert um, grew up in Southern evangelical culture. And by the time he was 18, he, he self-admittedly said, I was taught that I knew everything. Mm. Not like as at an 18 year old, he knows everything about the world. But at 18, he got the distinct, he graduated all the Sunday school, did all the church things, went all Wednesday night, Sunday night pizzas and everything. But by the time he, he hit a wall in college, because it was clear that he had not been, nobody had shown him anything about what he said. So, so it was like, I'm 18 and I know everything there is to know about God. Mm. And he's like, that was a huge uh, turning point for him Mm -hmm. to, to be given that even, even if it was indirectly. Mm-hmm. The idea that you've graduated high school, you've you've been a dutiful church attender, now go out into the world and do great things for Jesus. It's you're you're just setting up a deconversion mm-hmm. environment. Right. 
by doing that mm -hmm. instead of preparing them and being honest with them because he's watching the adults in his life. What are they doing? They look like they're on a spiritual cruise. Mm -hmm. They've, <laughs> they've, they've kind of, you know, gone to a Florida retirement village, theologically right, right. speaking, mm -hmm. and they're just kind of kicked back, relax and making sure that their son or daughter is going to do the same thing. And there's no real world uh, rubber meeting road. Mm -hmm. um, and usually when that happens, it's, it's a bloody mess. Right. Exactly. Some people survive it. Some people don't. Mm. So it's, it's, it's the, 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 the thing that I have found most refreshing. And sometimes, you know, I don't get invited to all the parties because I'm honest sometimes about what I struggle with. So what? I would rather right. people be encouraged by me being honest than me being fake at rubbing shoulders with people that are not being honest with themselves either. Mm. And we've, that's another one of our other things that we keep running into is people whose faith can survive when the when it's the flesh that hits the road, because mm. I think that's the part of the lie that we tell with unintentionally that we imply to people is that that mm. won't happen to you mm -hmm. if you're a Christ follower, your car your car is never going off the road. Demons will leave you alone. That's right. You'll yeah. never have any problems. That's right. God mm -hmm. will come down, shower you with money whenever you're out of exactly cash, right. And when you're sick, you'll walk out of the hospital. And that doesn't fit with the New Testament that I see at all. And so, it, it, but but I think what's that sets people up, and instead when we because we've done it two or three times here at different times. I've asked people to stand if they've, if they're on psych, you know, like, hey, if you're on any psychotropic medications for depression or anxiety or whatever, if you've been a counselor in the last year for emotional issues or relational issues, now go to that list. Like, okay, all, all the people who fit that list stand. Of course, 80% of the people in the church stand. And it's for some reason, everyone's shocked. And then if I say, and by the way, all of you are depending on sugar or caffeine or or nicotine <laughs> to, to, to stay alive, yeah. you stand too. Every, and that's the rest. And of then there's like three guys out there, and you're like, and like, those of you who have a problem with lying, right. y'all three now stand too. <laughs> and, but, and they don't stand up because they don't have a problem. With no lying. problems whatsoever. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but but still, yeah, it's, that's it's, a, it's that's the reality is when you set people up to believe. Um, I actually was, I, I have now in the last couple of years been uninvited from two different things. Um, one was training counseling students here in a re local college because mm. um, my, the, the way the counseling center that I run operates is apparently not woke enough. And mm. for 15 years, so we've not changed our views. And by the way, neither has the school in 15 years. But it was okay to to present both sides to the students. It was okay with me, and apparently it was okay with them. And they actually came and told me, we're no longer okay with our students hearing there's another theory about these wow. things. And so, again, we talked about how free... Th I'm not sure free thinking means the same thing to them that it does to me. That's not free thought. But the other one was uh, a Christian organization that's supposed to be training leaders in ministry and uh, at a camp many, 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 many states from here. And I went and spoke there, and they wanted me to teach the second half of Romans. But they uninvited me because I taught that women's role in ministry was a complex conversation as presented at the end of the book of Romans. Mm. And and that got, the not that I said, this is the right answer, this is the wrong answer, but that I said, this is a very complex conversation. And Paul really can really throws a, you know, a monkey into the wrench, so to speak, with, mm. with uh, Phoebe, and that now changes the conversation. We have to take a whole new tone. And isn't that fascinating? There's one sentence from Paul can hmm. call, have us go, oh, wait a minute. We got to look at this. And that, that I did not teach women should have no role of leadership in the church. That got, so it's like hmm. either end. And I said, you're, so you'll know you're both setting up your students to deconstruct what you're trying to indoctrinate yeah. them with. And you bring up a point, Chris, that I think is, I hear all the time 
in deconstruction stories is the one Bible verse that triggered something. Right. I had a gentleman who, we, he was an atheist. We shared astronomy interests together. We had lunch together, and he was telling me what triggered his deconversion was a verse in Galatians about Abraham and the seed of Abraham. Yep. And um, you, you think it's not, if, if you're leaving, if you're jettisoning the faith on a verse or two, then really I think that's indicative of the fact that you're not thinking thoroughly through the process. Right. Whether you're weighing two issues or whether you are deconstructing, if you're just basing it on a handful of, of verses from the Bible, right? Um, that's going to be, that's an indication that, that we haven't drilled down to the specifics of what's really going on. Right. Um, and I think that's a, a, a key issue as well. Um, but like I said, usually in that situation... In both directions. In both directions, yeah. right. People don't want to drill down to the foundation. They just want to find a reason not to believe anymore. Right. It's just, yeah. And I think on the Christian side, we tend to create a theological environment where it's just built on a matter of a handful of Bible verses and it's right. not a rich theological exposition of the whole text. And of That's Jesus right. Is. Yeah. Well, and I've even heard people say before, like, well, you know, theology isn't something that I'm into or I, you know, theology is not interesting to me or I'm not a professional Christian. I don't need to th study theology. And mm -hmm. it's like, wait, no, we all have a, theology like that is not something nobody's that not a theologian from, right <laughs> exactly yeah. but it's like are you willing to do the work of, of finding out what your theology is i mean we can talk authentic. about our, our favorite binge watching netflix movies we know celebrities and their their lifestyles and we know our sports teams like the back of our hand but we're not professional athletes why are we so spending so much time right. on these things if, if this is really important to you no you don't have to get a degree right but we are traditionally Christianity. Have, Christians have been known as people of the book. People, mm. people, the people write. People read. Christians are, our God is a word-centered God. He's the Logos. Mm -hmm. He spoke right. creation into existence. And and to me, I think if we don't recognize and recapture the idea that we are a word-centered people instead of an image-centered people, um, you know, God forbids idolatry. We need to we need to be readers. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean we have to be systematic theologians in a professional sense, right? But if we're going to do a First Peter three fifteen and give a defense, um, it's not just about feelings. It's about mm -hmm. theological reasons for why Jesus is Lord and and why our lives center upon His. Mm -hmm. Well, and back to your point about being uh, I forget the phrase you used, but retired. <laughs> retired because <laughs> right <laughs> in retirement christianity in retirement um i think a lot of times it seems like that may be why we are inadvertently passing on a lukewarm or weak faith to the younger generation because when we think that we've learned everything about god it kind of mutes our relationship with him and it sure. just dumbs that down of like there's no perfect awe, example. There's no wonder. Proverbs of the uh, the prodigal son. Hmm. So we're, we we have this inheritance, mm -hmm. right. our retirement. We're going to hand off to our our right. generation, but we haven't trained our generation to appreciate what this inheritance is. We haven't given yeah. them, um, and so we just we if we hand it to them, they just run away with it, hmm. and they end up in the sow pig feeding right. the sows and everything. But yeah, we have a precious inheritance that we've 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 struggled and strived for, and we think we've achieved, and we're not we're not inculcating for these future generations of just how rich and wonderful and awe inspiring, as you said, 
uh, this inheritance is and how costly it, it was to God to, to, to provide this for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just no, there's no depth of appreciation that we are demonstrating in our own lives, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that you don't have to be, and I feel like as an apologist with a Christian organization, I'm not here saying that you have to have this official position in ministry to be effective. You don't, mm-hmm. you don't have to have a podcast. You don't have to be flashy. You just, you know, read books to your kids, read books to yourself. Right. <laughs> and and no no rightly divide the word of truth and and we have to know the word of truth and what it is and I'm still struggling with that I mean we mm-hmm. still I I I have to pray in a journal with my pen because I'm distracted I can't mm-hmm. <laughs> same <laughs> I have to write out my prayers because it keeps me focused on what I my prayers are still anemic and selfish mm. um, my my knowledge of God is still it's it's not arrived you know um, and I don't I don't want anybody to think that. I just, I just have had these experiences that it seems to be that, 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 and God can give each one of us experiences that will help other people. Mm-hmm. So your experience is just as valuable as, as somebody else's. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to be a professional with degrees to, to make a difference for, for Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. And I, I think it's good for people to hear that, to hear it isn't always going, you're, you're not going to have simple answers for things that, that, that doesn't make any sense. It's, there's going to be some tough things. It's not, there's going to be ways you have to engage and wrestle. We don't get to be lazy in our faith. And uh, it, it was you, what's something you were saying earlier. I don't know if you remember the old uh, rom-com called IQ that was supposed to be um, like Einstein and his niece. And he's uh-uh. she's so it's Tim Robbins. Walter Matthau plays Einstein. Oh, okay. It's a worthwhile movie. Um, anyway, probably the classic Tim Robbins is a car mechanic and Walter Matthau playing uh, um, Einstein is trying to tell him how to romance his niece, who's played by Meg Ryan, if I remember correctly. Okay. But there's a great scene where they're walking down the side of the road, and suddenly Walter Matthau turns and says, are you sinking what I'm sinking? <laughs> and Tim Robbins like, what are the chances of that being true? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like not likely. Not likely. And so I think we would all get that about Einstein, and yet mm-hmm. there's something in us that thinks my brain should easily comprehend everything that God would do and somehow he should agree with me on the way I would do it. And, right. and, and they, we want God to be God when it comes to responsibility, but we don't want him to be God when it comes to authority or power, which those never are divided. And so I think it's great. And part of why we wanted to create this podcast was when we started it, there was that fad going on of this deconstruction among church people and and podcasters, and and it was like the new way to get their numbers up on mm-hmm. YouTube almost, and and uh, and so going this, it just felt, and and I, I I don't mean this for everyone who does this, but so often they would post, here's why I'm deconstructing, and I would yeah. go, that's just not good reasons. That's that's I mean I think there are probably some valid reasons I could totally get my head around why someone would walk away from God, and just because you haven't read a book isn't a good reason. Like it's these issues they're bringing to the surface, you know, well, you know, there's multiple versions of how Judas died and you're like, okay, that's it. That, that was it. And that's because that's not hard. You want a hard one. I can give you some hard ones. That was not one of them. And, and it just, we thought we need to make sure people have the tools, one, to recognize deconstruction um, that I'm going, oh man, I don't, my faith is not the same as it was last year. Certain things have been removed or left or de quote deconstructed, and other things have been constructed and reconstructed, and that's an ongoing, I assume, eternal process. Because mm. um, um, if if I can't 
After 30 years, I don't still know everything about my wife. How will after eternity I know everything about an infinite God, much mm-hmm. less another eternal person? And mm-hmm. and so I just, setting people free to recognize, one, when our t- instinct, and I know you've seen this many times, Dan, the instinct of people to panic when they hear a question they've oh, not heard. I'm the worst of, I'm the, I'm the most guilty. So uh, chief among panickers, I am. <laughs> so when you get a question that's new to you and shocking to you, because I was that way for a while, and now I just, it like almost makes my mouth water because I know there's going to be something very, very cool on mm-hmm. the other side of it. And so uh, I don't remember if I told you this, but I got asked by a Muslim one time, like the fact that, that Jesus would have spoken in Aramaic, but probably, and what we have is Greek. And there's certain things about the translation from Greek to Aramaic that just don't work very well. Like there is no... There's no uh, specific participle, the, mm-hmm. in Aramaic. And so how does how would John know that Jesus was saying he is the way, the truth, and the life? And so he threw these at me. And by that time, that was the first one that I remember going like, oh, this is going to be so fun. I can't <laughs> wait to see what the answers are to this because mm. I doubt if you're first. I, d- I just don't think it's likely that you're the first person who ever asked this question. And even if you did, how cool would that be? And I think it's like living in El Paso. People are bilingual. <laughs> they, under, they understood yeah, well, I mean, Spanish as well as English and, and could well, translate yeah, quite think, easily. <laughs> yes, I mean, and John spoke both and apparently wrote at least in Greek. And so, yeah, John was there. He heard what Jesus said, and John thought the appropriate translation of that was the way. Like, it's not that actually it's that not hard. hard. It's, but, not a, it's a, not a good objective. The immediate instinct is to go, oh my gosh, that's an excellent, I like that. And, I never and thought of that. It's a great point. It's, it's not somehow a defeater. That's and not. so, but to go, that's, that's fascinating. I, that man, I'm going to need to study that. Or at a new I like, level. I like the objection. Uh, it's Bart Ehrman's objection that the, the, the authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, not only are they not Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, according to Bart, but the, <laughs> yes. the, the disciples were idiotes, according to the Jewish council. That's the Greek word for yeah. basically from where we get idiot. They right. were unlearned, right? but they had been with Jesus. But Bart's argument is that whoever wrote the New Testament were not the disciples or right. in and around associated <laughs> because, because the literacy rate of these people. So what Bart does is he goes and pulls literacy rates from the first century from this scholar who has written a book on literacy. Yeah. In the I don't ancient know world. how they know that, but yeah. But, but the problem is, and I've made this analogy, the problem in saying that the, the disciples were illiterate and therefore they didn't write the, the, the new Testament is like citing <laughs> the literacy rates from um, Mesoamerica 1000 AD to the civil war to conclude that uh, Lincoln could not have written the Gettysburg Address. <laughs> right, exactly. It's for a span of a thousand years, <laughs> there was all this illiteracy, but this right. proves somehow that uh, right. Lincoln could not have written the Gettysburg Address. And this is th- these kind of arguments, again, we're getting back to that idea of distilling down to the concrete specifics. When I have skeptics throw these historical objections at me, I say, well, what are your sources? Yo, well, where wow, are you getting yeah. from this? Because I'm, I'm somewhat conversant in the sources, but I want to pin down... Exactly from where are you getting this information? If you reject the scriptures as historical, fair enough. I'll grant you that. Let's let's look at your sources now right. and see if your historical criteria for the sources that you accept is consistent right, right. with the way you apply the criticism to the New Testament. And oftentimes it's not. Right. That's exactly right. So anyway, there's we, that's another podcast we, it is. we could talk about. But Well, I, I, I love this. I think it's great it's for people to get to hear yet another believer who has wrestled, who's faced challenges, who has anchors that we return to, who's faced these things, and who is, honestly, Dan, an awesome resource. I love 
getting your um, newsletters and your oh, podcasts. Oh, yeah, you signed up for my blog. I forgot to mention that. Yes, so. yes, I did. And and it is a, and especially, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you, actually, I need to remember this for my son, Holland, who's big into, he loves astrophysics type stuff right now. That's oh. a thing he's into. I need to get him connected to you. But uh, if you're into that kind of stuff, Dan has got some great materials and and is happy to, it does a great job of coming out and sharing it with churches and studies. Absolutely. And he loves doing that yeah. stuff, does a great job. So Dan, thank you for your time today. Thanks oh, for driving yes. out here. Thank I'm you. I'm sure God owes you a big one now. That's right. I, <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't hear the first hour, you need to go back and I listen need, to that uh, podcast. Okay, God, I need new tires for the car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up. Trust God. Search for answers. <laughs>